Welcome to the Way Community Podcast. Here you'll find various teachings and messages from within our community and also from guest speakers. If you're interested in finding out more about us, visit our website, the-way.com.au. We pray that this episode edifies you. It's so good to be with you guys. Good evening. Um, I think they're describing me a little something to plop this down on. So we're gonna, we are going to take an adventure over the next uh, day and a half. This adventure is going to take us through quite a bit of territory. Um, we're going to talk about the kingdom. We're going to talk about inner healing. Uh, We are going to talk about the human spirit. We're going to talk about engaging the heavens. And we're going to do a lot of interaction. A lot of interaction. This is probably going to be one of the most casual speaker encounters you've had. Or maybe not. I don't know, because I've never been here before. But uh, I plan to be very, very casual. In other words, um, think of this like a classroom. As I am talking, feel free to raise your hand. If you raise your hand because you have a question, I will walk over to you barefoot, because I'm probably going to kick these sandals out of the way, and um, let you ask and entertain it. Um, Some of you, as you ask questions, it may inspire certain types of activations and uh, ministry demonstrations and so forth. And so uh, get, get comfortable. Because this is not going to be a full-on, you know, notes, concrete presentation, preach you until you have no more room left in your head and send you home and so forth. So, so uh, one of the things that I want to do, though, I want to begin by setting a little bit of context for the conversation. Now, there's a lot of people that, you know, I begin to talk about inner healing and, and, and they begin to say, well, what do I need that for? I have Jesus as long as I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I should be good to go, right? And, and you know, my, my response to that is, well, that kind of a paradigm is operating out of a reduced gospel paradigm. Unfortunately, there have been many theologians that have taken what we have been given by Christ and boiled it down to a very minimalist perspective and presented that as the be-all, end-all of the faith. Get saved. Believe in Jesus. Get baptized. Maybe we'll add get the Holy Spirit and then warm a pew. As long as you do a good job, you get to go to heaven when you die, so there you go. Point of life. But God is transitioning the body of Christ at this point in history, saying, no, that's not the whole story. Yes, Jesus is the door. He is the Savior of the world, and he died so that we could have forgiveness of sins. He is the payment. He is the propitiation, the satisfier, so that we can stand before a holy and righteous God in heaven and be declared not guilty. He sanctifies us. He justifies us. We are justified freely by grace through the redemption that is found in him. But when Jesus comes, he spends the whole time preaching about the kingdom of God. And we talk a lot about, in Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but Jesus spent all of his time talking about the gospel of the kingdom. 
And God is now at a juncture in history where he is saying, wait a minute, let's change the focus here. Instead of focusing so much on sin, let's acknowledge sin and focus on my government. Let's acknowledge grace. Let's focus on solutions and getting you manifesting in this life as sons of God. I know that God is sick and tired of his children sitting around year after year after year beating themselves up for their failures without solution to move past them, feeling inadequate, feeling like orphans all the time, going to church, always stuck on a repentance cycle without breakthrough, that's long term, and never stepping into a demonstration of sonship. And so what I want to introduce is something that I, I call kingdom thinking. It's an embrace of the entire message where we move through the door of Jesus Christ into forgiveness of sins, repentance, acknowledging that sin needs to go, and stepping into God's grace, which is his ability to overcome, and acquiring all of the resources that we need to heal in the broken parts of us that keep us locked in loops of cyclical failure and breakthrough, so that we can confidently step into full manifestation of what God has purposed us to be. And in, from that seat and from that posture, bring in and introduce another dimension as a superimposition upon this world. It's a little different than where some of us may have come out of. And, and, and in this approach, what we have to understand is that, yeah, inner healing has a big role to play because our inner brokenness is one of the major reasons why we find ourselves stuck in these loops of cyclical failure, right? What does a loop of cyclical failure look like? How about blowing up at your husband? Some of us blow up at our spouse the same way today that we did five years ago based on the same triggers. We're still doing it. And we've been in church for five years. But when that trigger comes in, we do the same thing. Um, going into a place of self-loathing. I hate myself. And we did that five years ago. Ten years ago, we were stuck in self-loathing every time certain things went wrong. Ten years later, we have maybe higher periods of time, but yet certain triggers come and we're back in self-loathing. And we're trying to get ourselves pulled out of it, looking, oh, where's Todd? Where's Todd? You need to pray for me. I'm stuck again. This is not the full manifestation that God has for you as his son or daughter. All of us can agree on that. But what we have been struggling with, many people in the body of Christ have been struggling with, is how do I attain that? Because I, it's, it's been years and years and years, and I've had maybe a small breakthrough here and here and here, but I just can't get it here. They've tried everything. So we want to talk about 
understanding the context. There is a higher purpose for our healing. And it's not just so that we can have a breakthrough. It's because God wants to bring his government into the earth. Let me explain. Jesus taught, in this manner, therefore pray. Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is not always done. The world is not under the full influence of his government. Therefore, Jesus teaches us to pray for his will to be done so that it can be done in this world. This means that we play an integral role in bringing the governance of God into the earth. It's part of our purpose. We're here for more than just survival. We're here for more than just to learn about Jesus Christ and to believe him to be our salvation. We're here quite literally to change the world. We're here quite literally to change the world. And the change begins in us, but then it expands out. And you know what? The change doesn't stop expanding out at all. Because once we understand that we are changing our lives and the lives of the people around us and maybe our city and our state, our nations... Right? This is all part of the kingdom agenda. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. That means that he has an agenda on national levels for certain things. You know, the Bible says the whole creation groans, awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. That means that there's a purpose that God has stored up in us that has an effect. The, the word in Romans chapter 8 translated creation is the Greek word cosmos. Cosmos. That's the multiverse. It's a big deal. You're a big deal, and the fruit of your life is supposed to be a very big deal. And so one of the aspects of my ministry is I am here figuring certain things out, designing lots of tools and approaches to unlock the body of Christ so that we can all step into a manifestation of sonship that is extraordinary, right? And, and here's the thing, and I want to I, I just outline a little bit of theology here before I get into inner healing so that you understand a few things. And um, maybe, you know, your pastor's already covered some of the things with you in the past. I'm not sure. But, I, I, you know, here's one of the big things that the body of Christ trips over. How many of you guys have heard the concept that Satan owns the earth? This is his domain. He has every right to be here. We are sojourners crossing through his territory. So we have to get in and get out and in the process get as clean as we can. Right? Right? There, there, there's a bit of a shift coming. Let me explain. It's called Psalm 115, 16. It says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. 
Now, this is a very, very important point so that we can move past some of our mental barriers and obstacles theologically to stepping into the full expression of who we are. See, if you believe that Satan owns the earth, you're not going to contend for your nation. Let me say that again. If you believe that Satan owns all the resources in your city, you're not going to contend on that level. If the only thing you believe that Satan doesn't have a right over is your vessel because you committed your life to Jesus, then that's all you're going to fight for. And maybe you'll expand that to your family and loved ones. So Satan wants the body of Christ to believe that he owns the world. So he gave us something called bad theology. Because the people that say Satan owns the world did not read Psalm 115, 16. Let me explain. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. That means God owns the heavens, and he owns the heavens of heavens. He owns it. Psalm 24, 1 actually goes a little further, and it says, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof and those who dwell therein. So God makes himself out to be the owner of the heaven, the heavens, and the earth. But as the owner or landlord, he subleases the earth to man. The Bible says the earth he has given to the children of men. If God owns the earth in Psalm 24.1 and gives it to the children of men in Psalm 115.16, we have to understand something. When Adam sinned, it was a little different than how it's been explained to some of us. Adam sinned and death entered. But Adam was man. Adam had children and they were the children of man. And Adam's children have children and those are the children of men. One, two. We're, we're two generations out from the fall. And God is saying, I have given the earth to the children of men. So explain to me how Adam gave the title deed of the earth to Satan when he didn't even possess it in the first place. Adam didn't have the ability to give that ownership because God kept ownership of the earth, according to Psalm 24.1, the whole time. If you rent an apartment, can you sell that to someone? No. You can't sell an apartment that you rent to someone else. You have to actually be the owner of the building, which God is. So God put us in this earth to fight for what's rightfully his, not to survive what's rightfully Satan's. So, so... The Bible says in Luke chapter 4, Then the devil, taking him on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only will you serve. This is... One of the reasons why large portions of the body of Christ believe that Satan owns the earth. He, we, we actually believe that Satan owned it, and therefore he was offering it to Jesus on a platter if Jesus would only worship him. But it kind of reads that way, doesn't it? So 
if God owns the earth in Psalm 24, 1, and God has subleased it to man in Psalm 115, 16, then what do we do with Luke? And I'm going to tell you. The answer is we have to understand trade. Because Satan, you know, it's kind of like this, right? Let's say you own an apartment, you lease an apartment, and then you have to leave for the summer, so you sublease the apartment to a friend. That's the nature of Satan's rule in the earth. He cuts deals with people. Let me explain. People go into Hollywood. How many of you know there's some infiltration in Hollywood? A little bit, right? A few Illuminati eyes here and there. Anybody know about the Illuminati? <laughs> few <laughs> satanic rituals happening in music videos every once in a while, you know. Well, that, that would, it's artistic expression, right? Um, there's a little bit of infiltration. Many of you have probably heard of the idea that many of these singers have to sign contracts many times in their own blood in order to get power to be famous for a season of time. They sell their soul. What is that? That's a trade. You're trading something for power from the kingdom of darkness. How many of you know that in Freemasonry, you can sell out your children and your children's children so that today you can have a successful business, but they're going to pay the price for your selling out 60 years down the road trying to break off curses from them and their families? So many people in the body of Christ have been affected by this. Here's the thing. Throughout all of history, Satan is cutting deals with men. Sublease, 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 sublease. 4,000 years of deals, trades, and subleases produce a world into which Jesus is born where man can no longer help himself. Satan has possession of the kingdoms of the earth legally through trades, but not from a cosmic perspective of having been given it by God or Adam. So now Jesus comes back and pays it all. Why? So that we as his sons could take back everything that's been stolen. That means that we have a great deal of responsibility. But the devil doesn't want you to know that. The devil wants you to think that he just owns everything, so deal with it. Sit down and shut up. But we're moving past that. But one of the problems is it's hard to move into demonstrations of great power and authority when we're stuck in loops and cycles that we just can't break out of. Because I find myself in self-loathing once every other month. How am I going to step into the full expression of who I am and begin to contend with the devil for cities? Therefore, we have a context for the ministry of inner healing. It's about more than us.
One of the things the Bible says in the book of Revelation is to him who overcomes, I will make him, he will be a pillar in the temple of my God. Right? Do you know what pillars do? They bear lots and lots of weight. They're load-bearing. Anybody ever seen a pillar that you wouldn't trust? It's falling apart, a little crumbly. It's kind of chiseled away. It looks kind of weak, right? One of the things about brokenness is that when we are broken, we have a hard time being load-bearing in God's kingdom. God can't trust us with the full expression of wealth that he has for us because we can't sustain it. Under the weight of that responsibility, we would crumble. God can't trust us with the full expression of ministry that he has for us because under the weight of that ministry, we would crumble. political platforms. There are all kinds of things that shift when we begin to look at life through the lens of kingdom. Because once we see this world as something that God wants to superimpose with his government, we realize that our callings take us into every sphere of operation that exists in the world. And so... Have he said all of that, we're going to get into inner healing. And here's the thing. I, I really do want to demonstrate some of the stuff that I'm going to be talking about. I really do. Um, but I'm going to need volunteers for that. So as I'm talking, uh, I, I'm going to do some corporate stuff. And then out of that, if you are feeling pretty brave, I'm, I'm actually going to have you coming up. And we're going to do some exchange because I want you guys to see what inner healing looks like, you know. Yes, ma'am. I'll do the first thing. <laughs> Before we get into it, can you just get, when God gave Adam dominion, what did that mean? Dominion. Absolutely. Dominion means dominion. He gave Adam the job of expanding his garden and his government all around the planet. He gave Adam the... Because he planted a garden in Eden and put Adam in the garden eastward, and he gave man dominion, and, and Adam was supposed to be fruitful and multiply the governance of God everywhere. That was the original mandate. And what Jesus is doing is restoring our capacity now in him to execute the original mandate. If I lease an apartment to you, you will have dominion in that apartment to the extent that you can often paint the walls the colors you want. You can put inside of that apartment the furniture that you want. You can put the plates that you want. You can go to bed when you want. You can wake up when you want. You can uh, get a pet and name it whatever you want and keep it inside of your apartment, so on and so forth. 
but it doesn't mean you have the right or the ability to sell the building from a legal standpoint. Does that make sense? Hey Amen. That's a really good question. Really good. So, getting into inner healing. Here's what you need to understand. Brokenness happens at every level of our creation. Now, the Bible has two verses that I often go to to begin this conversation. First, Thessalonians 5.23 is the first one. Now may the God of all peace sanctify you wholly. I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Triune man, body, soul, and spirit. Okay? The Bible also says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the Bible has a conversation around the spirit. It has a conversation around soul. It has a conversation around the heart. And it has a conversation around the body. And as we get into the ministry of inner healing, it becomes very important to understand where these terms fall because when we get that right, it really unlocks a workable revelation that can be applied very intentionally and yield reproducible results. And so this is what I was able to understand after many, many hours of research and study in this area because this is kind of what I do day in and day out. Um, the body is the physical meat suit that we wear, okay? That one's easy. The soul is largely the mind, will, emotions, and intellect. And it is the part of us that presents. When you meet me on the street, you're gonna meet my soul, okay? You're gonna meet my soul. But then we have the spirit, which is a different facet and aspect of our creation. And the spirit also, and this is an interesting thing that, um, you know, when I learned about the spirit, I learned that it was um, akin to a temple. It was a place of worship. It was a place where the Holy Spirit dwelled in me. It was later on that I got the additional revelation that the spirit also had his own mind, will, and emotions independent of the soul, which shifted everything for me. Because that opened up a whole other ministry that we're going to talk about later, tomorrow, which is ministry to the human spirit. Does anyone mind this? Did that tilt anybody? Like, <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> yes, sir. So which one's me? Which one's me? Answer. All of the above. All of the above is you, right? But, you know, it, it's kind of like, okay, 
and, 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 and this is how I break it down. You guys recently learned about the triune God from your pastor, correct? Some did. All right. so, so, so for those of you that missed that lesson, let me explain. In Christianity, we believe in a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All God. But it's triune. Okay? So when you look at the triune God, what you see is that Jesus actually talks to God the Father. All through the New Testament, my Father, your Father, Father God, talking constantly, Abba, Father. So, who's God? Jesus or God the Father? Answer, both. So, which one is you, the body or the soul? Or the spirit. All of the above. All of the above. We are th three parts, one man. And, and this is the thing that really shatters the grid. This, this, this is a new wineskin. Um, but this is essential to understand as we move into manifesting as sons and daughters of God at the full potential that we have. We actually have to get into the mechanics to be unlocked. We have to get into the mechanics to be unlocked. You know how I know that? Because without the mechanics, after 2,000 years, we're still locked up. You, you see that? You, you see how that works? Um, after 2,000 years, much of the body of Christ is still very locked up. And even if we're not locked up, we don't understand fully how to manifest is who we are. Until I met my spirit and began to take notes from that guy, I could never understand the full expression of who I am. My spirit came with a whole other dynamic, a whole other perspective on so many things that elevated me to a level of operation that it took a whole lot of faith to climb into. <laughs> There'll be some testimonies. Okay. Um, so, so when we get to the triune God, right, we understand that God the Father... Let me give you a few verses. Uh, the Bible says, Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have been given the mind of Christ? How is it that you cannot instruct or know the mind of the Lord, yet you have the mind of Christ? Well, answer, because the mind of the Lord is really the mind of the Father. But the mind of Christ is the mind of Jesus. Therefore, the Bible says, No man knows the day or the hour, not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Why is it that the Father knows the timing of the return of Jesus Christ when he himself does not? Oh, I'll tell you. Because they have different minds. So when you begin to understand the actual nature of the manifestation of the Godhead, what you see is that you have three persons, one God. But a person, by definition, is one having their own mind. So the mind of Jesus can communicate with the mind of the Father. Though they are one. Watch this. The mind of the soul can communicate with the mind of the Spirit. Though they are one. So when we talk about ministry to the human spirit, which we're going to get to later, we realize that 
on this level, the spirit has its own mind, will, and emotions independent of the soul, just like the Father and the Son are different persons as one God. Because we are created in the image of God. So the pattern that's re hidden in the God has re revealed in our creation. Okay, here we go. Oh, I'm, not, I'm no theologian. I'm just interested in what you're saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, um, I'm thinking about what you said and how God talks to me. So there's a couple of things there. Jesus came to earth, but not, he manifested as man. Uh, you know, he was our role model, really. And so that's sort of consistent with what you're saying. Even though he was separate from God, he was one. We're meant to be one with the Father like Jesus. But I'm thinking he was talking to him like the Father because he was here on earth as man. I, I don't know if he would talk to him the same way when he was in the glory with the Father. I'm not sure. But what I am sure of is that the Father said, I'm meant to live, you know, as though, like John 1 which is my favourite part of the Bible, which is Jesus was the image of the Father. And he said, if you've met me, then you've seen the Father. So it's quite... Yes, yes, yes. And just imagine, you know, one day when we can say that of like our physical body. If you met my physical body, you met my spirit. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Because <laughs> I guarantee you my spirit has an eight-pack. <laughs> I'm working on it. Okay. Hold on one second. Explain... Uh, a little bit about the body. So, so on, on this revelation, on, on this revelation, right, it expands because, you know, even when you look at uh, in the book of Acts, you, you see that they, they, there's a point where they're consulting, and I, I don't have the verse reference in front of me, but the Bible actually says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Acts 15, that's right. Meaning, the Holy Spirit has a mind. Now, now, it's in the mind of the Holy Spirit to always say and reveal. So, the Holy Spirit comes to lead us and guide us into all truth, for he does not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, that he speaks, he shows us things to come. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a mind. He's just revealing all the time as part of his job. So, when it comes to the Godhead, you have three persons, with three minds, one God. And with the human vessel, you have three persons, <laughs> three minds, one human. So the body has a mind. The body has a mind of its own. You know, and, 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 and um, you go through stages of the body having a mind of its own, you know. Um, sometimes children just get up and run in a circle. What are you doing? Stop. Mind of its own, you know. Um, as we get into our younger years and, you know, we're, 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 we're going through puberty and all that. The body really has a mind of its own. Oh, man. Uh, you know, um, there's certain things that we just can't control. I've heard some rumors that as you get into your old age, you know, uh, the body has other things you can't control. 
I heard one old man say, never trust a fart. Just don't trust it. <laughs> You're thinking about it. Don't do it. You don't know what's going to happen there. You, you can't always control. <laughs> so uh, that, that's just funny stuff. <laughs> but the body has an independent intelligence. And I don't know how many of you here have ever been to a naturopath, but I have, right? Because Western medicine kind of stinks, you know? It's like you go to the drug dealer in the doctor's office, and you get a prescription, and now you get to take drugs. And if you have pain, they'll put you on opiates that do more harm than good, and you're probably going to have to go to a rehab just to get off of the medications that keep you out of pain. Praise God for modern medicine. I have to get addicted to Xanax just to sleep because I have anxiety. Thank God for modern medicine. Wait, the, so I, I have a hard time. I, I think that there's a, you know, a place for surgeries and, you know, uh, hospitals are necessary for trauma care. You know, if you fall and break your back, you can't exactly heal that with some herbs. But <laughs> praise God for the power of Jesus. You know, there's a balance. And with that said, um, I have done some heavy-duty, my wife and I went through some heavy-duty detoxing of our bodies with the naturopath. We took lots of supplements and all kinds of things, and we did a diet change, and we were cleansing our body. And so one of the things that we did with our naturopath was we did muscle testing to find out which supplements were good for our bodies. So we'd sit in the office, and he'd have to do something kind of funny. You know, we, we kind of like uh, stand on one foot, and then we'd hold our hand out, and then he'd put, like, uh, you know, some supplements in our hand. We'd have to close our eyes, close the hand. And if our body went like that, then we would know. That's our body telling us this is not a good mix. And when we finally came to a mix that made the body strong and firm, that was the body's way of telling us, wow, this is a good mix of supplements. I want that. And the body has an intelligence that it can tell you what's good for you and not good for you just by coming into contact with its frequency. The body is extremely intelligent. The body can tell you if a business deal is going to be good or bad just by coming into the frequency of the person you're thinking about making the business deal with. It's called doing business with your gut. Well, let's just call it both. Is it, is it a frequency or is it a spirit? Well, it, 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's really both. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, the body doesn't lie. Now, I'll be honest, right? Because we, we can go as deep as you guys want with this. Let me explain. Every organ in the body resonates at a certain frequency. And those frequencies come off of the body, and they can be measured with certain instruments. Now, if you go into New Age, they would call the compo composition of some of these frequencies coming off the body an auric field. Now, I don't teach New Age, and I don't go there uh, with that spirituality, but 
I can tell you that science reveals that there are frequencies that come off of the organs of the body. Specifically, the brain has a frequency that comes off about a foot from the body. The heart, more like eight feet. Now, here's the thing about the heart, because I didn't get this far, okay? The heart is the gate between body, soul, and spirit. Now, as I did my studies, I read theologians that said, well, the heart is the spirit. I read other theologians that said the heart is the soul. Of course, I can go to my anatomy textbook and read that the heart is in the body. Who's right? Everyone. Everyone's right. Everyone's right. And so the heart becomes a gate where spirit, soul, and body all converge. So the Bible says... As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So that place of convergence where spirit, soul, and body come together is a place from which a frequency emanates from our body that has a reach way outside of our presence. Meaning that if the convergence point of me is very, very depressed and sad, anytime you get around me, you will feel my depression and sadness. And how many of you know that there are people that can walk in a room and change the whole atmosphere of the room just because they walked in like this? Hmm. And I will tell you, this is an indictment against certain portions of the church because you would think that as Christians with Christ in us, we'd walk into church. I'm so glad to be alive. Praise God. Right? But half the people that do that are wearing a mask, and the rest of us are, oh, church, I'm so sad. I'm so sick of life. Worship God. <laughs> Time to go get lunch. You know, and it was like miserable people. What's our problem? What's going on inside of us? And so when you say, well, what is the body picking up? A frequency or a spirit? Well, what's being projected out of the heart? Your spirit, your soul, your body, or the mix of everything converging and creating a field around your body that's literally going to repel and attract certain activity to your life. It's all of the above. We are an integrated unit. We are an integrated unit. Now, every revelation that I'm giving you is actually actionable because there are revelations or, or, or approaches to ministry, intentional ministry, that spin off of everything I'm explaining to you. And I'm not just giving you pontifications. I'm giving you, this is how we have arrived at a supremely effective ministry that unlocks people with power and quickness. We're beginning to understand the mechanics. And so, so I'm telling you this all for a reason. Why? Because I want you unlocked so that you can manifest as a son and daughter of God and be a world changer in line with the mandate for this generation. You're a part of a company of people that is under the stewardship and headship of the gatekeeper of this city. And I didn't even know that until this morning. That means you're here for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. What he said. No. Mm. 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 Yeah, that's deep. 
<laughs> It'll click later. <laughs> so, as we begin to understand our design, right, what we begin to run into is an understanding of how we get broken and we stay broken, okay? How we get broken and how we stay broken. Because um, just like the body can break, okay? Say you fall off a building, break your arm. The soul can break, the heart can break, the spirit can break. Let me prove it to you. In Job chapter 18, Job chapter 18, it says, um, and I should probably just give you the, uh, the verse reference here. Job chapter 19, verse 2. Job chapter 19, verse 2. How long will you torment my soul and break me in pieces with your words? Daniel, I need a verse reference. Chapter and verse. Where does the Bible actually say the soul can be broken? Answer. Job 19, verse 2. Psalm 7, verse 2. Lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. Daniel, prove to me that the soul can be broken. I just did. Right? So, what happens is that the soul, which is the core presenting part of us, can be broken. And often, that breaking happens over trauma. Do you know what trauma can manifest as? Well, let's start with Job 19, verse 2. Harsh words. Some people think that their soul is not broken. But then they come to me and they explain how verbally abusive their parents were while they were growing up. They say, yeah, I was a little rough, but I'm fine. No, you're not. I guarantee you, you're not. I would put money on it if I was a gambling man that you're not. You're not okay. You're lying to yourself. You're broken, and you're living behind a mask. You buried it, and you're pretending like nobody sees. And Jesus is standing there looking at it, saying, How long, O oh child, will you make me wait before you give me the permission I need to heal this? But it doesn't end there. We're talking about unlocking the body of Christ. Psalm 51, 17, another very important verse. It says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Now, I tell people, it doesn't matter what condition you arrive at Jesus in. You could be broken in your spirit, broken in your heart, broken in your soul, broken in your body. 
He accepts you. He loves you wholly and completely. He sees every broken piece of you, and you know what? There isn't a single part of you he doesn't love. He loves the weak parts, the scared parts, the parts that were abused, the parts that were neglected, the parts that were rejected, the parts your mom hated, the parts your dad hated, the parts your brother hated. Every single part he loves. For I am convinced that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So, we come to inner healing ministry. Because before we can manifest with confidence and kick the devil in the groin where your boot belongs... <laughs> you know you're stepping up in your game where you're like, where'd my boot go? Oh, let me check the devil's groin. <laughs> ah, there it is. <laughs> I'll be back for you. You know? <laughs> and you know, I mean, it was years ago, and I can say this because I do it, I am it, and I demonstrate it. God told me, he's like, you know, you to you, Daniel, the principalities are going to become like little children. And I said, nobody operates on that level, Jesus. He's like, well, I guess no one's manifesting. But now, if I run into a principality, like Diana, I'll say three or four sentences. <laughs> Get in the boot. And I'm laughing about it. Am I lying? <laughs> it's like a big joke. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's you. <laughs> um, all right. <clears throat> Let me stop. Let me stop. Yeah. What I'm saying is, you could be the one talking like me. That's, I'm just here to demonstrate what God has for you. That, that's what I'm doing, right? I'm forecasting your destiny. Don't think that I'm here trying to, you know, bl blow my heart and make myself feel special. I don't need that. I don't have an orphan heart. I have absolutely no need for any real, like, after, like I don't need that. I don't need the people look at me in some kind of way. Because I've had people look at me all kinds of ways, and I'm just kind of over it. You know? It's just like, all right, whatever. <laughs> um, but God has something for you. And, and so, so now, when we begin to understand, look, trauma breaks the heart. Trauma breaks the soul. Trauma also breaks the spirit. Every level of our being can have brokenness based on things that we've been through. And, and here's what happens. Here's what happens. Okay? Let me give you an example. Hmm. Daddy wasn't so nice to mom, right? So you had to watch your mom take some beatings. 
and you felt helpless. And there was another part of you that while you felt helpless, dissociated and said, this will never happen to me. I will fight back. And so this part of you now exists inside of your subconscious because of trauma that you've witnessed. But it's not your core, which is what you go through everyday life with. So you have a soul that's presenting to the world all the time. Hi, I'm Dan. But because the trauma I went through watching my mom take blows, which isn't my actual story, I'm just fictionalizing something here, I have another piece of my soul that split off his name is Bruiser. So now, anytime somebody raises their voice, Bruiser gets triggered. Triggered. Everybody say triggered. Now, I'm going to stand to the left. Guess who's no longer in control? Me. Guess who is in control? Bruiser. Now, Bruiser's ready to fight. I'm triggered. And Bruiser does something I'm not so proud of. Here's what happens. Bruiser, when he's done with his job, retreats back into the subconscious where he lives. We call that the heart. And I step back in. Now I have to go to church. Now I have to go to church. Man, I screwed up. So I go to church, and I repent. Jesus, forgive me, because I've screwed up so bad. And Bruiser, standing back here in my subconscious, saying, yeah, you repent, but I'm going to stay here and protect you for the rest of your life. Because Bruiser thinks he's protecting me by acting out. So here I am, 1998, 2001, 2010, come on, I repent, God, change me. Yeah, you're getting changed, but I'm not. I'm going to be here to protect you the rest of your life. And I'm mean, right? And so we go through cycles of failure. Constantly repenting and asking for a breakthrough for a part of our soul that isn't the source of the problematic behavior. Are you guys beginning to understand why the body of Christ has had a difficult time here? Right? And then we get shamed and blamed because in some churches, every time you screw up, you're going to hell all over again. Now, I know that's not your guys' problem here because your pastors are much more intelligent. 
<laughs> but in some churches, that's not how it goes. You screw up, you're going to hell, so you got to repent all over again. Please don't get hit by a bus before you get back to the front. And you better hope that the end of your life is right up here, because unless you're in the altar, you don't really know. So, we talk about parts of us, parts of us that exist in the heart. And, and here's the thing. I define the heart as the subconscious, okay? That's where our brokenness is. And, and this is one of the reasons why the heart is such an important revelation, okay? Because when Jesus occupies our subconscious, he becomes our operating system. So the heart becomes the most important territory in the spirit world. Satan is after your heart. Jesus is after your heart. And there's a battle for the heart. Because if Satan can keep all of your brokenness lodged in your subconscious, he can work you over day in and day out. All he has to do is introduce the right triggers and he'll put you right back into the ditch. Now you want to kill yourself. Now you want to cut yourself. Now you want to leave your wife. Now you want to leave your husband. Now you want to abandon your kids. Now you want to punch your boss in the face. Because when we have brokenness, that's an area of our heart that Jesus hasn't touched. When we have brokenness, that's an area of our heart that Jesus hasn't touched. Pieces of our soul that have broken when we were three and four and five and six and seven and eight, all the way on, you know. Jesus hasn't touched those parts of us. And so... They affect our behaviors. They affect our whole lives. Moreover, they can affect our ability to encounter God. They can affect our ability to encounter God. Because when we have a five-year-old living on the inside of us that says, God was never there for me. God doesn't protect me. I don't trust Jesus. It doesn't matter how much you want to encounter God and worship. That five-year-old is a gatekeeper in your life, and he has agreed with the demons that Jesus is not going to show up for you, and your worship is dry. But when that five-year-old gets healed... Now he stops standing in the way of Jesus. One of the biggest revelations you will ever have is in the book of Revelation. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock to him who opens unto me. In other words, Jesus doesn't exactly kick the door in on your brokenness and just walk in and clean house. There has to be an invitation but some of us are so afraid of our brokenness or afraid of acknowledging the truth of our lives, we keep the door locked. We're just like, there is no door. I don't see a door. Don't see, yeah. Nope, nobody's here. 
Now, in my world, one of the biggest reinforcement mechanisms of not allowing the door to be open to Jesus to touch the broken parts of us is what I call false reality overlay. Because sometimes there are parts of us that are broken because we were abducted and put on a craft. And entities were experimenting on us that we don't know how to explain. But since that's not an acceptable version of reality, even though it actually happened to me, I'm going to pretend like it didn't happen, and whatever brokenness I got from that trauma never will get acknowledged because I won't admit it. I call it the false reality overlay. We are told that we live in a world that doesn't actually exist so that we will not acknowledge the world that does exist because by that mechanism, the devil can keep hoodwinking the body of Christ and the world at large. Your pastor said I could talk about alien abduction, so I brought it up. I just had to slip it in there. <laughs> you know, so, so, so part of my ministry is helping people to understand, look, I believe you. I don't care what I have to accept is true in order to get you connected to the healing power of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if I have to accept that there are deep underground military bases where entities that look like insects and reptiles are working with humans to experiment on clones that your soul parts are getting transacted into. If that means you're getting healed, I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to believe you. doesn't matter if I have to believe that you have parts of your soul that have been put on the soul train and trafficked to the moon and have been put in a labor camp on the dark side of the moon, working under a council of 13 that's sitting up there. All of these things are, by the way, true. <laughs> okay? Yeah. <laughs> Underwater cities, right? Um, I'm going to believe it. And you know what? As we transact the necessary protocols and get people healed and set free, we're finding folks are able to demonstrate what it looks like to be a manifest son and daughter of God. So I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of pretending like the world I actually live in. How is it? Can someone please explain to me how we have cave drawings of mermaids going back thousands and thousands of years, yet the only acceptable version of a mermaid is going to come from an Illuminati-owned company called Disney, and they put little in front of it, and now that's acceptable to put on every birthday cake, but the creature never actually existed? What the heck? I don't want to be one of those preachers splashing people with water. <laughs> you all need to wake up. This is ridiculous. So there are all kinds of broken parts of us. And here's the thing. You know, people, people get very uncomfortable with brokenness, right? Because that means, hmm, I'm weird. No, it doesn't. It means you're human. It means you're human. I, I've met so many people that are so uncomfortable with the idea that they have parts because they think that means that they are, I don't know if you guys have this reference over here, but we had a reference in, in the United States. It's called Carrie. It's a story written by Stephen King. 
she had parts. So does that mean I'm her? Um, there was another book called Sybil. A more recent movie called Split. Oh, does that mean I, I would eat people? Young girls? Abduct them and eat them? That's not me. I, I don't have parts. <laughs> it's a false connection. It's, it's like, you know, most... I, I have yet to meet a person whose soul is completely whole. That hasn't arrived there with great intentionality. Period. Zero people, including myself. Let me explain. At some point when I was four or five, I came to a conclusion. And I, I, I believe that it happened when I was at a friend of the family's house and I was, you know, we were playing with their little boy. We were having one of these games where you throw plastic toys at each other. And so I was having plastic toys thrown at me, and it hurt. And somehow I came to the conclusion that it wasn't safe to say I'm hurting. So I just concluded that I will not admit it. In other words, I will get hurt, but say, I'm fine. And this was reinforced by, you know, a few other events where you tell other kids, ah, that hurts, and they don't stop. So it makes less sense to admit it and more sense to protect myself by not acknowledging pain. And it wasn't anything severe. It was just kids' stuff and life. Well, um, later on in my teenage years, I had another um, break uh, with a part of me that was just really angry. Angry about bullying that I had been through, angry about some other stuff, and it was just very, very frustrated. And so, after my wife and I got married, I think, yeah, I'm in pretty good shape. Look at me. I'm doing real good. My wife was like, I think you have some parts. I'm like, Psh, whatever. That's what most of you will do when I tell you, I think you have some parts. <laughs> Whatever. You don't know me. So I go into prayer and I say, you know, search my heart, oh Lord. <laughs> Let's see if these things be true. Next thing I know, I'm looking at this little five-year-old and I'm like, oh, who are you? Well, my name is Payne. Payne? 
what's your job? Now, I actually know the right questions to ask because I work with survivors of satanic ritual abuse, and all of my tools were developed at the deep end of the pool. What that means is my tools work in the deep end of the pool and all the way into the shallow end of the pool. All of my strategies work across the board, which is great. You know, I, I, I didn't see it as great when I was developing them because it was extraordinarily frustrating and difficult. Maybe we'll get into some of those stories later. But the wisdom of God is that if it works there, it's going to work here, 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 and here. And one of the things that I've learned to do whenever I encounter a broken piece of the soul is I always ask, what's its job? It's a, it's a question that always yields a response that bears fruit. It's just a good question to ask. There's certain questions that you can ask that have absolutely no effect. It's almost confusing. The same translates over to the ministry to the spirit. There's an art to it. I've had so many conversations with so many different human spirits, and, you know, I've railroaded some of those things. It's like I'm asking questions of the human spirit, and it's like, uh, what? And the person is like, I'm not getting anything. And I've had other questions that I've learned to ask and ways to engage, which, boom, manifest, boom, manifest, breakthrough, this, that. So people that sit down with me and have human spirit ministry now, it's like a symphony. There isn't a break, and it's just right into the glory. And, and all of that comes through practice and learning now, right? Um, we're talking mechanics. So I'm sitting here. I know the right question to ask. What's your job? He says, to get hurt and say, I'm fine. Now watch this. When I would deal with my wife, and she would say something that was a little hurtful, you know what I would do? I would take my little five-year-old on the inside of my subconscious and hold him up like a shield. And the word would come, hit the five-year-old. And I put him down. I'm fine. You can't hurt me. Now, that translates to a disconnect. Because what she's processing is, I don't care. So I'm in self-protection, and it's triggering insecurity. <laughs> you know, one day I'm going to write a book, How My Parts Ruined My Marriage, right? And I'm going to write it for everybody else that told me all of their stories because I got over it. <laughs> because... This is what married people do. Your brokenness triggers my brokenness, and my parts yell at your parts. And back and forth we go. And the devils are just like, da 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 da. They don't even know it. They don't even. Then you show up at church. Fine. Fine. God bless you. God bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Would you like me to speak the opening prayer? Mm -hmm. Oh, you have, I don't have any brokenness. No, 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 no. That's the other people. Jesus is sitting there like, how long, oh son? How long, oh daughter, until you let me touch those broken parts of you? I'm waiting. I've been waiting a lifetime. You guys glad I came yet? <laughs> oh, what is this? What is this? <laughs> so
so, so let me tell you the rest of the story. So pain, pain, I realized that I have a part that's broken inside of me that's like four or five years old. His name is pain. And then I meet someone else right on the back end of that. What the F is going on? I'm like, I don't even cuss. What's this cursing going on? I meet my teenager. He did cuss. And um, his name was Frustration. Now, Frustration was an interesting guy because he learned how to cooperate with my needs. Because now that I'm Christian, I can't cuss anymore. But he's still doing his job of being frustrated. And the way that he does his job is by being passive-aggressive. So if I have to whip out my five-year-old to take pain, and I have to say I'm fine, frustration is going to come out, and now I'm going to be passive-aggressive. And that's probably going to frustrate you. I don't know what it is, but I just can't stand what, I don't even know what you're doing, but I don't like it. I ran into that a lot, and I'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm not doing anything at all. Why are you mad? <laughs> so, they both got fired that day. They both got fired. I so, said, you know, listen, listen, I love you. I accept you. I thank you for what you did for me, but you're fired. Now, bring it in. And I took them, and I just pulled them right inside of me, just like that, in the presence of God, because I was in a place of prayer. So the Bible says that Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted, right? What do you think that ministry is? What do you think that ministry is? See, we have looked at binding up the brokenhearted as something arbitrary. We, 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 we've made a very etheric kind of uh, framework around that thing. It's like, oh, well, you know, people will just get saved and they'll be better. How many of you have heard that theology before? Everything was done at the cross. You bound up the brokenhearted because you got baptized in water. The whole church walking in. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Morning, morning. Worship God. Hymnal. Uh, okay. Uh, sermon. Uh, it's over. All right, lunch. Okay, lunch, lunch. Lunch, 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 lunch. I remember when I was waiting on tables, I, when I was in Bible school, I used to hate the Sunday morning shift. These church people were the worst. Miserable, angry, upset. I'm like, I prefer the Friday night folks that are getting drunk. You guys are really unhappy. And they tip better. You know, it's nothing worse. They go, we have certain denominations that will go unmentioned. I mean, they actually think it is a witness to leave you no tip and a gospel track. If I wasn't already saved, <laughs> I might have some second thoughts at this point, right? Um, 
Now, you guys don't understand that reference here because here we don't, you don't tip in your restaurants. In your restaurants, you just pay and they make a salary. In America, waiters get paid $2 an hour. $2 an hour. So you get to the end of your work week, and all your pay does is cover tax. So if you don't get tips, you don't make money at all. So imagine making $2 an hour, and you have a $150 check on the table. That means that a 15% tip is, you know, $19 or so, 20% tip, right, $30. And you get a gospel track. And it's like, well, there goes lunch tomorrow. Moving on. You know, this is a, it's so, so rude. So I, I just had to explain the reference. Um, excuse my math. That was not the correct math. Now, uh, what I want to suggest is that we have some inner healing to do. You know, we have some inner healing to do. And, 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 and we need to let go of this philosophy that if we have any brokenness in us, that makes us carry Sybil or the guy that eats people in the movie called uh, Split. That's not the way it works. Everybody has some brokenness. And, and, and this opens up a conversation on the dissociative continuum. Now, I, I'm going to shift into a little bit of ministry because otherwise, um, you're going to be so information heavy, you're like, I don't even know what I said. Just went on and on and on. But suffice it to say that different levels of trauma produce different types of parts and brokenness. And the most severe types of trauma sustained for an extended period of time before the age of seven produces entire alternate personalities that can hold the body and create times where there is, uh, we call them blackouts. As a matter of fact, if you had a difficult childhood and there are periods of time that you cannot remember at all, like the entire second grade or the entire eighth grade. It's just black. That is because you have dissociation at work in your life. And there was another part of your soul that lived that part of your life and then went away because circumstances changed and another part of your soul came to the surface and you changed. If there are areas of your life that you have no memory of, it's definitely time to begin seeking the Lord and asking some tough questions. How bad was that part of your childhood? What really happened? You know. These are the things that Jesus is standing at the door, knocking, waiting. When are you going to let me in? When are you going to let me in? I want to heal all of that. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask the angels that hang out with me to pull up some parts. Because I want you to meet the people that Jesus wants to touch. And then uh, I'm going to let you think about what you just saw. 
while I ask for a volunteer and see if there's anyone here that actually wants to receive some ministry on this level at the front because I'd love for you guys to be able to see how this actually plays out mechanically. Um, you learn a lot by watching, you know. And um, if there are no volunteers, then we'll continue with some corporate stuff. But if there are some volunteers, then you guys are going to get a real treat. Let me explain a few things. Okay. What you guys just watched happen was a piece for soul. That was six. That was in her subconscious was being introduced to Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah for the first time. She knows Jesus, but loneliness and abandonment as a place in her subconscious doesn't. Therefore, the door to that area of her heart, which is a geography, the heart is a geography, it's a region, must be opened so that healing can come. Now, let me explain something else. We have been raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Now, what you witnessed was Jesus coming, and he took that part with him into heavenly places. That part of her right now is in the God dimension with Jesus for a season of healing. Later, he will return that piece of her soul. And at that point, there will be an opportunity for integration. That is, that piece of her soul being reconnected to her core. Now, let me explain something else. The thing about this ministry is that it is so intimate so personal that it's very hard to do live demonstration on deeper levels. Jesus did that because right now he's not trying to embarrass, you know. And even in doing live demonstration, I trust that whatever comes up is being overseen by Jesus. Therefore, I'm confident enough to go here even in a setting like this, knowing that my God is not going to pull someone into something that quite literally makes them feel betrayed by him. At the same time, never in a public demonstration would I be able to bring someone into a full manifestation of inner healing and subsequent deliverance. This is a ministry that often occurs in a closed session behind closed doors where there is safety. So what I'm here to tell you is that this is on the table. And um, when we begin to approach our brokenness and our cycles of failure from this perspective, what actually happens is extraordinarily accelerated 
results and breakthrough. But it involves, again, introducing the broken parts of us that sit in our subconscious to Jesus and his healing power and resources. And so at this point, I'm done. I'll take a few questions. And um, other than that, I'm not going to teach anything else tonight. Yes. Can you do it to yourself? Well, absolutely. And in um, my situation with pain and frustration, I did. And the truth is, uh, at Bride Ministry, BrideMovement.com, we have a course called Inner Healing Ministry Fundamentals, where I actually walk through, like what, what you heard today was pieces and parts of two and a half of the, the it's not even the full, but it's like nine parts. And it goes deep into this work and even how you can administrate some of it to yourself. The problem is, oftentimes with denial barriers, if you don't believe your own story, it's very hard to work past the denial barriers without help. And here's the truth. The body of Christ has many members, and a body is self-healing. So sometimes we do need to lean on other members in the body of Christ to help us along this journey. Not all situations can be self-healed, but some can. Other questions? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Um, for years, I've prayed and invited the Holy Spirit into every broken and bruised and damaged part of my heart. And yet often, always, when I pray in situations like this, I get nothing. I can be in a room with anointed people and healers and, and praying and worshipping, and, and they can see amazing things that God's doing for me, and I get nothing. What does it mean, you said, people may get nothing? Does that mean anything? Or is there another step? <laughs> Yeah, um, that, that, that can mean several things, okay? Uh, number one, it means that the denial and amnesia walls are so thick, you can't break through. And I, I often sit down with folks in this situation, and it takes sometimes an hour, sometimes hours, and sometimes several weeks of ministry just to move them past their amnesia and denial walls that are locking them out of everything because the pain is so deep and so vast, it's too scary to even begin to unlock it. And what happens is there is a, a presenting part and right behind it, a protector part that actually has the keys to everything else. And the protector is saying, no way, Jose. And until that protector finds a person that the protector trusts, nobody's getting back there. So we run into that all the time. Furthermore, sometimes the protector with the keys is interfaced with an entity that's very evil, like Leviathan or another bad guy. And so the bondage and the interface to Leviathan has to be broken for the humanity to be appealed to so that you can get past the block that's being reinforced by a gatekeeper. Get it? Okay, probably not, but again, <laughs> we're talking mechanics. There is a reason why you have your experience, and it's not impossible.
That, that gives you hope, doesn't it? Hey? Yeah. Okay. Uh, other questions? We're going to do like three or four more questions. Then I'm going to let you all go home and process and afterglow. <laughs> so you said that the, um, the parts go to Jesus and then at some point they come back and get integrated. How do you know when that happens and how does that happen? Okay. Um, that's a good question. So uh, when Jesus takes parts... Uh, at, at that point, different things might take place. One, you may have a dream. And in the dream, you experience Jesus bringing that part back in. And the integration is actually occurring while you are asleep. But you're experiencing that very real event in your subconscious as he brings the part back in there. That's one way it can happen. Another way it can happen is if, you know, I was working with her over the long term. I might administrate something like that where I pull Jesus in and say, hey, how many of the parts that are sitting in the heavenly places are ready for integration? King Jesus. Why don't we just have the angels bring them back in and integrate them right now? And the initiation will lead to uh, angels bringing in buckets of parts. Then we'll integrate them on the spot. Uh, other ways that it can happen is quite literally without the person's awareness at all. It's just, it just happens. And... There's no actual, like, whoa, this is the moment where it, it did. Because, again, uh, we're, we're not always fully cognizant of everything processing in our subconscious or in our heart realm. Um, so the mechanics can look different. And it all depends. Does that help? Oh, okay. I just wanted to clarify that the parts don't always go with Jesus. Is this was a specific case in which um, the part probably needed more ministry. Oftentimes, if they're very, very um, not well, they, they'll go. But this was a case where Daniel really probably couldn't do much more work in a public setting. So Jesus, in his graciousness, took the part to heavenly places for processing is what we call it. But sometimes they just stay in the body, or sometimes there other things happen. So this is just one example. Correct. And under other circumstances, uh, let, let, let's say, right, this part happened to be on a playground. Um, I might do something, like begin to work my way into that inner world. So I will put angels and make them guard the playground. and Then I will flush the playground of any entities which may require some warfare and some renunciation prayers if there's stuff going on. And I'll establish a safe place there and begin to pull a bunch of parts into a safe place in the inner world and then integrate them later once they heal in the inner world without them going to heavenly places. There are many types of mechanics that can be used because, yeah, parts aren't always taken into the God dimension for healing. It's just, it, it's different. Okay, next question. Uh, thank you. I've, um, I've been enjoying this. And uh, God took me to, um, I found myself in a, my old school, my primary school there for a bit. So that, that was interesting. But I just wanted to ask you um, a different question, if I may. That is, um, you were talking before about the different realms that people can be trapped in, like a, a base on the moon or underwater cities and things. And um, I don't dispute 
that there's reality to that. Um, I'm just curious, um, do you see that as a space that overlaps with the physical realm in some way? Like, do you think the people's bodies are also taken to such places or is it an experience of their soul and their spirit only? Um, either or or both. Either or or both. Absolutely. It's in all of the above. Does that make sense? And so from one experience to the next, it's going to be either or or both. In one experience, a person may have a soul part sucked out of them, and the physical body is still there, but the soul part's experiencing something. Um, on another occasion, the physical body might actually be levitated up, pulled through a wall, um, you know, uh, pulled onto something, and then put back where it was taken from one or two seconds after it was taken, in our timeline, but really it was gone for four or five hours. As per a classic abduction scenario. Correct. So it just, it depends. So now we're going to get into more mechanics. Okay, let's see how quickly I can break this down. Um, Are you going to be covering this at all? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> we'll get to it tomorrow. Um, all right. One more question, and then we'll uh, afterglow. Okay. Sorry, mine's not so much of a question, but more of a revelation, and what you spoke tonight has just given me a real wow about it. Today, I heard a five-year-old go... He wasn't there with your dad. He wasn't there when Ferdy died, and he won't be there to heal Scylla. And I really believe in healing. And I went, oh, my God, where did that come from? And I really wanted, you know, like I believe in the full gifts of being able to heal people. And I heard that, and I went, that's almost not believing in God. Do you know what I mean? And it sent me back on my knees going, God, I repent. But I heard this five-year-old really crying out and being very warrior-like. And I just think that, you know, even when you want to believe in healing and you have it, if you've got a five-year-old there, there saying, ain't no way, baby, there's no God, you're never going to be able to get any kind of healing, well, guess what? You've got a conflict. Bingo. 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 And, you know, the Bible talks a lot about unbelief. You know, talks a lot about unbelief, lack of faith. When Jesus went into the city and it was his hometown, because of their unbelief, he could do no great works. Right? Well, here's the devil's, you know, bag of tricks. If he has enough brokenness in you, establishing unbelief, and that's lodged in your heart, which is your subconscious, guess where your faith level is going to sit? beneath its full potential until the healing comes. Is that starting to make sense? There'll be more tomorrow. Everybody give Jesus a hand clap. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! Oh, come on. Give him a little more than that. <laughs> so I just want to close by saying this. For, the, for those who are visiting, you, you've obviously been tracking Daniel's ministry, and so you're, you're here uh, 
pursuing that. And so you're very welcome for, for that reason. Uh, for those who are part of Bendigo, maybe you've heard a bit of a sniff of this and you've come to, to uh, find out what's, what this is all about. But I just want to say that everything that, that Daniel's sharing right now, he's, he's standing on the shoulders of many years of generations of people who have, have been in similar kinds of ministries and, and even within our own fellowship. Uh, we, what Daniel shared tonight, we have had extensive, successful ministry in people's lives through just such ministry. So if you're, if you're struggling to get your head around it, I can happily assure you that we can wrap a whole bunch of Bible around the things that have been spoken. And there's many great books on the subject which will take that even further. But the reason that we are doing this is because there are very few places where someone can come and say, you know, I get raped by a spirit every night and I need ministry and, and have that person actually be received and, and see breakthrough in their life. There are very few places where someone can say, I was abducted by aliens and I need ministry. You know, and we're talking our own first-hand experiences. In this fellowship, right here in Bendigo, when people say, I have been being groomed by a coven to be a bride of Satan, I need ministry. In, in many places such a person is going to be shunned or rejected or at the very least simply not believed. Where do such people go? I believe that the way has a mandate as a body, as a collection of believers, not just individuals skilled in that form of ministry, but as a body to be ready to receive such people to allow them to step into the liberty and the breakthrough that was purchased for them on the cross 2,000 years ago, just like it was for everybody else. And that's why we're doing this. God bless you. For those that are doing the course tomorrow, we're going to have a great time together. And we're back here tomorrow night, 9 o'clock. We start tomorrow morning and back here 7.30 tomorrow night. Good night. God bless you.